Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Skipping the Line. That's right. We are back and we are in full effect. I don't know if you haven't seen us in a long time because I don't know when this episode is going to go out. But if you missed us, we're here and we got a nice surprise for you. That's right. We are skipping the line again with another amazing voice acting talent. But see, this one one's a little more unique because not only is this person a voice actor, they're a voice director as well. In every form of the acting medium, that's right, we have the very legendary Marissa Linty with us. Hello, Marissa. Hello. Thanks for having me on. All right. So I do always, I always see now. If you guys can't recognize her voice, she's been in a lot of, a lot of great shows. My favorite show recently that I just binge watched just to make sure I loved it was Gamers. Okay. Now I don't know if you've seen Gamers, Jeremy, but it is everything I wanted. Everything I wanted. My nice little slice of life, school romance. I, I love, I you love know, Gamers. I am sad to admit that I have not had the pleasure of checking it out yet, but. Um, you know, after this session, I'm definitely going to go and uh, peek a few episodes. <laughs> but uh, it's great. You know, there's so many things uh, we we have prepared. We have some awesome questions for you. We can't wait to speak to you. But uh, first things first, we always got to ask, uh, how are you doing? You know, as well as I can. <laughs> We're all stuck inside, but feeling fine. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, so given that you know you're stuck inside, and as, as well as many many of us, and uh, while the quarantine is going on, trying to make sure we don't get sick, uh, one of the things we like to ask people is, uh, what are you currently watching? Ooh, that is a great question. Uh, I actually started a little like anime club with some of my old college roommates. And I'm watching whatever they bring to the table week to week. And of course, I'm making them watch things that I've worked on as well. So next week, we're going to be watching Shaman King, um, which I have never seen in my life. Um, so that should be fun. Uh, <laughs> and uh, last week, we watched Given together, which was very nice. Hey, that's awesome. awesome. And Shaman King is supposed to get an anime reboot in uh, 2021. Yeah, that's a 20, 20 year anniversary reboot, I believe. Yeah, it seems like yeah. a lot of shows are getting reboots. Uh, Bleach came back, uh, Fruit Basket came back. You know, a lot of shows are coming back, coming back, you know, giving giving some of the people who, you know, fell in love with the series, you know, hey, you know, this is why the show is awesome. Who can forget Dragon Ball Z Super? Hey, wink, wink. Guess who's in there? <laughs> See that segue that I thought that I perfectly planned? It was it was awesome. It was very smooth. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. But I, I think I think I got to tell the people a little of some of the shows you've been in. Uh, you was in Fairy Tale. You was in One Piece. Uh, you was in uh, Divine Gate. I love Divine Gate. Uh, you, oh, you, I sound like you. Do you have some, is Divine Gate one of your favorite shows? Oh, I, I just I chuckled a little bit because uh, my character in Divine Gate, um, she appears in one episode. They make a big deal about her, and then she leaves for the entirety of the rest of the show. And I, uh, I always would joke. I was like, where did she go? You know, there's this big battle going on. She's not helping anybody out. <laughs> and then it wasn't until the end title title crawl that she's standing like, you know, up on a, a hill or something. And I'm like, you didn't help. What are you doing? Oh, man. Uh, you was also in Keijo. Uh, I just watched that. Uh, I just rewatched that with my wife. And she was like. Oh, love Keijo. 
she was like, this the type of shows you're into, huh? I was like, let me explain. There's, <laughs> there's, there's logic and physics there's to actual it. actual plot. Like, there, there really is. Um, Nabaka, uh, I love that show. Um, that's so funny. And so many, so many awesome talents are on it, too. Oh, yeah. One of my favorites. Uh, Dragon Ball Z Super. Hey, Pride Troopers are in the house. Yeah. Pride Trooper with us. And Borderlands 3. Who doesn't love a little Borderlands? Borderlands 3 did great. Oh, yeah. it's It's got this huge thriving community, too. And it's been a lot of fun just to get introduced to that community. Um, I've been streaming the game on my Twitch. So uh, all these people have shown up and kind of welcomed me. And it's been a lot of fun. What character are you playing? Uh, I played Moe's. She's one of the playable vault hunters. I play her and I play her in the sense of the voice. Yeah. Is it weird to play a game, to stream a game that you're like voiced in and like <laughs> when, when you stop talking in game, you continue to talk in, in person. So it's like technically you're not stop talking. I think it's more weird for the people watching the stream. Uh, several people have come in and been like, Shish, uh, it's it's Moe's talking, but it's not the game talking. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not phrases that they're used to hearing in the game or I'll like repeat after myself and they'll be like, I am hearing things in stereo and it's weird. Whereas I, uh, for me, it was only weird at the very beginning. Um, the very beginning, cause I, I've been in video games before, just never really as such a big playable role. Um, at least not in a game of this magnitude. I've played the playable character in maybe some indie games that are, you know, maybe like two to three hours long, but being able to sit down for, you know, five, six hours at a time and, and hear myself continuously talk in a game like this, I'm like, wow, you know, we really did record a lot of audio and it's so cool to hear it all put together. Um, so for the first few streams, I was always like, oh my god, yeah, that is me. Wow. Uh, but now I'm kind of used to it. And uh, it is fun to watch people come into the stream and be like, it, you do sound like her, but are you really the voice of Moe's? I'm like, yes, really? I remember one time I had auditioned for this role and it was just one line. And I was like, it was like, look, man, we just need you to, like, die on the street. And I was like, you got it, pal. And then all I had to do was, like, a grunt. And then, like, I was fighting. And I was like, listen, that's me yelling. Like, why don't you guys be like, it's not you. And I'm like, come on, guys. Like, it's very hard to convince people that you're these characters. It's like, <laughs> and I wasn't a character you get to play for four hours. It's a character that just fell in that got that got hit during a, a mafia gang battle. <laughs> I ended up changing the title of the stream at one point to Moses' actual voice actor plays Borderlands 3. And people would be like, do you need the actual in there? And I'm like, well, apparently I do. Oh, man, voice acting. So much fun. Um, but I, I want to start at the beginning. Um, you were a child actor, mm -hmm. which is uh, something, you know, uh, a lot of people don't have the privilege to say. Uh, I know my mother told me I was a childhood actor because she was like, oh, you was in that one play when you were six. So, hey, look, you're an actor now. But uh, could you go into a little more detail of like, how did you become a child actor? And what were some uh, notable works that you did during that period? Sure. Um, yeah, when I was little, I was doing mostly uh, theater and um, 
commercial on camera. So uh, we had a local theater um, and of course a school theater. Um, and I did plays at my school. I did plays at the local theater. Um, I was in a couple of plays, uh, Canterbury Tales, um, Annie, uh, Little Mermaid, and, oh gosh, <laughs> thinking all the way, all the way back. Um, but then, you know, there was a there was an acting school where I also trained um, a couple actually that were local to me when I was growing up in New York. Um, obviously, New York has a really good acting scene and, and theater training scene. So I took classes at a theater school. I took classes at an on-camera acting place that also hosted auditions. And through them, I did a couple of on-camera commercials. Probably the most notable one was just like a local um, commercial for Long Island's The Challenge, which was some kind of like school kid aged uh, reality challenge show that aired for New York. And at that point, I kind of stopped because I didn't really like being on camera. Um, and that's when I sort of fell out of acting. And so that period of my life was kind of separate from me getting back into it almost exclusively as a voice actor much, much later. Um, so I was able to pull on that old training, but there was no like smooth transition where I went from doing, you know, my, my child acting stuff, which was all um, film and theater. And when I started doing voiceover, it was, it was just, they were their own little separate bubbles of my life. Uh, so all of my child acting stuff was kind of, between the ages of maybe seven and 13 to 14. Um, and I wouldn't pick it back up again until college. Wow. Okay. Um, now was there starting at that, um, at that young of an age, was there anything that specifically like sparked that interest to lead you down that path? Like, was there anything that you watched or something that you saw or any other influences that made you want to say, Hey, I'm going to pursue acting. Uh, my parents actually would bring me to a lot of Broadway plays, because again, we were in New York. Um, and I always thought Broadway plays were so cool. And, and that was my initial drive for getting into acting, is that I wanted to do Broadway. Um, obviously, not where I ended up. <laughs> but that was kind of the thing that inspired me, because I, I liked movies, but I don't think I had very many aspirations of being a movie star or anything like that. I wanted to do theater, um, and anything that I would do on camera was sort of a byproduct of that. Um, and then it wasn't until much later where, when I was in college, um, I had entered into college under the pretense of a creative writing degree, and I was actually at a point where I was like, I've decided this isn't what I want to do anymore and I have to change my major. And I was just kind of going back through all of the things that I did as a kid. Like, okay, you know, like what used to excite me? Like what were things that I was into that I might want to make a career out of? And a lot of the things that I did as a kid were kind of eclectic. I did karate and horseback riding and I played the violin and I was like, I don't know if I you know, have any particular interest in doing any of these, but I also took acting classes and that's where I was kind of like, oh, okay. Um, and at the time I had, you know, really gotten into anime and I was like, wait a second, you know, these English dubs of anime, they must be recorded somewhere in the United States and they must be using actors. I want to, you know, figure out 
how I could maybe do that as a career. And that was kind of the inciting incident, you know, the second time. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. Awesome. Right. That's super, that's awesome to hear. Now, something I know that uh, uh, gets brought up uh, a lot, but I, I really would like to go into it a little more, is that uh, you went to Emerson College for costume design. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a he was a seamstress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with the costumes and things like that can you and you did that for a large portion of your life uh can you walk us through what was the initial spark and how did you get into it was it something maybe you saw somebody do and you realized you had a talent for and people were like hey you can make money doing this you're like oh okay cool yeah i um <laughs> I'm just, I'm laughing a little bit because you have done more research than anyone I've ever been interviewed by, and I'm very tickled by it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I uh, i was a seamstress. I mean, I'm still a seamstress, I guess. I still sew, but I, I, I made it my job for a, about a decade. Um, when I was around 16, I, well, actually a little bit younger than that, I started um, cosplaying. And I would make my own cosplays by hand uh, because I went to comic New York Comic Con one year with a friend of mine, and we kind of slapped together, you know, closet cosplays. And as I was walking around and looking at everyone else's cosplays, I was like, "Wow, this is amazing! Like, I want to, you know, do a really complicated costume." Um, and I went home from that all fired up, and then my mom was like, okay, you can, um, I will buy you a sewing machine for Christmas if you uh, make your first three cosplays by hand. So I did. I just sewed by hand three cosplays. I wore them to the next convention, and then for Christmas, I got a sewing machine. And once I learned to use that sewing machine, I opened up an online business um, because I would start going to conventions in my cosplays and have people kind of stop me and be like, hey, can I buy this? Um, like, do you do commissions? Can you make me a cosplay? And I was like, oh, uh, this could be my job. You know, I was in high school, uh, but I had never had a proper job and I wanted to start saving money. So I decided to open up an online cosplay company and uh, yeah, did that for about a decade, um, making cosplays for people, making props for people, shipping them all over the country. And I got to say the, the weirdest experience I've ever had since is going to a convention as a voiceover guest and walking past someone wearing a cosplay I made and that I recognized as having been one of mine. I was like, that is one of my cosplays. And people were like, what do you mean one of your cosplays? And I'm like, I was a cosplay seamstress for, you know, years and years before I was a voice actor. And that is one of mine. <laughs> so it was uh, definitely another, uh, I guess, avenue of my life that was inspired by nerddom as it were <laughs> yeah yeah but um I, I gotta say is that especially when you look at the uh the cosplay community and how much is grown you know uh you're you were making costume for people and you and you were doing that basically saving money and making money now there are people who just wear costumes for a living and you know the cosplay community have grown so much what was it what was it like seeing that you know being that you were basically in in the middle of all of it you know not only were you wearing costumes you were making them and going back all the way to the time where it was just something where people would do for fun to now where it's where some people do it professionally oh yeah yeah, yeah. like what are some of your thoughts on it 
I mean, it's an industry now, and and I certainly uh, I certainly applaud anyone that can do it for their job. I would get so stressed out making cosplays for conventions, and it wasn't even you know my job to well, it was my job to make other people's cosplays on time, but it wasn't my job to have cosplays ready for myself on time. And I think if it was, I would go a little bit insane. I don't think I have the wherewithal to be a professional cosplayer. Um, but, you know, it's cool that it's like a whole industry now and that people can kind of make their living on it. Um, I kind of see it from the distance and be like, ah, I remember cosplay. Godspeed. <laughs> Pioneer of this business. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's really cool. Um, so uh, I kind of wanted to hit on something that you talked about uh, that you touched on very briefly. Um, so you said, you know, growing up, you started to discover anime and started getting into it. Um, so I'm just kind of curious, you know, what types of shows did you start out with? You know, how did you like like what was your experience like d diving into the fandom as a whole? Oh, yeah. Uh, so I would say the first couple anime that I watched, I didn't explicitly know were anime right there were some anime that was on saturday morning cartoons that you know you would watch and you didn't really know it was anime and for me those shows uh that i was really interested in were pokemon digimon Yu-Gi-Oh, metabots zoids the saturday morning cartoons <laughs> and beyblade yeah if it if it Oh, and Monster Rancher. If it had to do with monsters or or robots fighting, I was pretty much always there. Um, I didn't actually get into, I got into card captors a little bit, but I didn't get into a lot of the shonen or magical girl shows aside from that. Like I, I didn't really, I didn't have an interest in Dragon Ball or Sailor Moon when I was little um, because there weren't enough monsters in it for me. I needed monsters, otherwise I was not there. Obviously. I as I've gotten older, I, I appreciated more styles of anime. But when I was like eight, I was I was exclusively watching monster shows. And I remember I had a couple uh, Pokemon VHSs that would advertise other anime on them. Um, and at first, I didn't really know where to find these shows because I had never seen them on TV. Um, I remember one advertised uh, Ranma One Half and Kimba the White Lion, which. I don't know if Ranma One Half is necessarily appropriate to put next to Kimba the White Lion on a Pokemon VHS. Um, a little bit of a different, uh, different kind of show. <laughs> but I remember that trailer very vividly, and I remember seeing it over and over again. And unfortunately, I never picked up those shows, but it did kind of clue me into the fact that okay, there's something called anime that you know, encompasses a lot of my favorite shows and I need to go figure out what it was. And the show that really got me to jump from just little kid shows to, okay, now I'm watching all anime for all different age ranges was Death Note. I was obsessed with Death Note when I was like 14 to 15. And I, I watched it subbed, then, then the dub came out and I watched the dub and I was cosplaying from it and all my friends were cosplaying from it and we were reading the novels and, and you know, reading the manga and um, watching the live action movies when they came out. Like I was into that fandom um, and that was kind of the first one that sort of ignited, oh, well, you know, what else is out there? What else can I go watch? And then I was just, you know. I was out in the wild west of trying to find random shows to watch after that point. 
Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wanted to ask about your experience growing, like kind of being a teenager and especially being like a woman in the anime fandom. Um, just because, I mean, it's not, a, it's not a secret. Like there's a, a lot of toxicity in this fandom. Um, and a lot of gatekeeping. Uh, was that something that uh, you were ever, that you have ever experienced or have any, uh, or have ever like came across? Luckily not within the anime fandom, at least as far as I can remember being a kid. Like now that I'm older, um, I think I'm exposed to more sides of toxic fandom just because you know, it's just easier to access now. Um, you can go on Twitter and, and see someone's, you know, awful hot take about whatever in anime. And you're like, oh, well, you know, that's just that guy. But I'm going to go over here with, you know, uh, the rest of the fandom and, and have a good time. But when I was younger, everything was kind of on forums, right? And I think I was just lucky in that the forums that I stumbled into happened to be really great. Um, so I... I think the only time I really had a run-in with, like, toxicity was um, more on the cosplay side of things. You'd come across people who obviously would tear down other people's cosplays, would tell people they were, you know, too fat, too ugly, too this, too that. Um, you'd experience a lot of racism and stuff. But it, it was one of those things where, again, because it was on forums, I would be like, oh, well, you know, maybe we don't go on this forum anymore. Maybe we go over here. And... Thankfully, it was pretty chill, just because I found my tribe pretty early on and kind of, you know, ran in those circles. Um, yeah, I, I think I got off easier with anime fandom, whereas most of the issues that I ran into growing up were more in school, you know. Um, definitely got bullied for being the anime kid, uh, but, you know, what are you going to do about that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were actually yeah. just talking about that uh, uh, off <laughs> off air uh, a little bit ago. Yeah, we were saying that all these shows, all these anime shows are it's anime clubs and everyone's working. I'm like, where was this when we were younger? Like, I don't... <laughs> where was the love for anime at? I, I don't remember any women in my school liking anime. Yeah, the first time I even saw an anime club was college. Like, we didn't have that in, in middle school and high school. Um, and it was a lot harder in school to make friends over anime. Whereas, thankfully, the internet, internet was more of a safe haven at that point for me. Just, you know, go on the forum that you found that has a good environment and talk about anime. Well, I'm glad things are moving up. Now people are bonding over, yeah. you know, people just starting. Hey, I watched the show. That was awesome. What do you think about it? Oh, I think it was great. Like, it's so... It's here now. And yeah, I mean, it's on Coach now. You can get Coach with Naruto on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can always talk about, you know, there's always going to be toxicity in any fandom, I think. And even if anime specifically does have a toxicity problem, I think it also has one of the highest populations of just, like, great people. Like, as long as you can find... As long as you find the great people, they're out there and, and they are awesome. Um, a lot of the people that I grew up cosplaying with or I ran into at conventions were just some of the coolest people I had ever met and that I have ever met since. Um, which is why, I, I, you know, once this pandemic is over, I, I really can't wait to get back to conventions because it's my happy place, you know, just amongst the anime fans. 
Um, but so I think it balances itself out. It's just going to be that, you know, the bigger anything gets, the more likely it is that, you know, toxic people are going to find their way in and you just kind of have to go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to leave, you know, this, this garbage fire and, and, and go back to the cool people and talk about, talk about seasonal anime or whatever. <laughs> For sure. That's awesome. Um, I picked up something really awesome while hearing your stories. And I want to ask that how supportive uh, has your family been when you're going to these different uh, transitions and what you want to do? Something cool that you said is that, you know, uh, you wanted to sew and you asked your mom, she was like, listen, if you can do this, uh, I will buy you a sewing machine so you can uh, pursue your dreams and things like that. Uh, so many people on this planet uh, don't actually have that. Uh, yeah. I remember me telling my father, I was like, hey, dad, I want to be a voice actor. And he was like, you're going to run this warehouse just like your grandfather. And I was like, I don't want to do that, man. It stinks in there. And like, <laughs> it took him a while to like understand that, you know, I, I had different goals and dreams and you know it seems like you know you're one of those people where like your family not saying my father didn't believe in anything like that but he was going by what he knows works in life sure you know and there's nothing wrong with that and i respect him for you know being like hey you know this is a guaranteed way for you to make money and sustain a living i can't uh compliment on what you want to do because i have an experience so i don't want you to take a chance and you be in a bad position so i'm trying to help you get to your goals faster if your goals is making money and having a family mm. you know i think that's cool so how was your family's uh, approach towards you when you were in this when you're going through these different things because you're so easily uh, impressionable when you're when you're younger you know you see things oh i want to be this or i want to be that yeah my family was always very supportive. Um, my family is almost entirely lawyers. <laughs> uh, both my brothers, my dad, my sister-in-law, all lawyers. Um, but my mother uh, is a creative type like me, and she's also the type of person who runs her own business like me. So she had a dance studio business, and now she has a interior design business. Um, so when I said, I want to start up a sewing business, they said, great um and when i said you know i want to go to college for uh creative writing they said great and then when i switched it over to theater studies they said great um and then i said okay uh i'm going to move to texas and be a voice actor and that was probably the first time i saw them kind of give pause because they were like texas you know why uh and i had to explain you know that's where the industry is um it was it was still in new york at that time um there were some opportunities for voice actors but i was of the belief that if i stayed at home and lived with my parents to pursue voiceover that i would get lazy and that i wouldn't um go as hard after my dream as fast if i was you know at home so i said okay i have to go somewhere else so either texas or la and i ended up choosing texas because i was fresh out of college and la is expensive so um, they were a little worried to see me go so far away because my brothers uh, had not moved so far away. They were still relatively close to home at that time, and uh, they had never had a child move so far. But they said, you know, if that's where you have to go, go, and then if you have to come back, you know, we're here. Um, so it was really, really, you know, uh, nice 
to have a family that was so supportive and it's definitely integral to um, the strides I've been able to make in life that my parents would support me uh, not only when I wanted to move and, and pursue a job but also just when I was younger and I wanted to try out things like karate and horseback riding and violin and uh, I did dance as well and acting um, they let me sign up for all those courses and and do them on the weekends or after school and stuff like that and would you know just encourage me to okay well you go try it and if you don't like it you can stop but at least try it for this long and, and see if you like it. And, you know, worst, you know, worst case scenario, you develop a new skill, but decide it's not for you. Um, and that was really helpful for me because I was so bad at deciding what I wanted to do for a living. Like I said, I, I decided to be a voice actor about halfway through college. So I was real close to um, when I was supposed to enter the working world before I finally figured it out. Um, so it was really good that I had a family that was like, yeah, go try stuff. Um, and if you have to move to pursue your dream, go for it. Because um, they just wanted me to figure out what I wanted to do and go do it. <laughs> that's so awesome. Yeah. Uh, so many, that's such a, like, uh, man, a lot of people in life, you don't know uh, what it is to lose something until like, lose it in a sense and so many people you know really don't have that type of support coming in um and i tell people a lot of times you know support can come from all types of places it come from a friend it could come from uh, a role model it could come from a mentor and things like that but there's nothing that beats uh, a parent's belief in you you know that mm. can that can make a difference in everything you want to do um i know uh, a young lady who uh she wanted to uh she wanted to be a chef. She wanted to be a chef, but her family insisted uh, that she become a lawyer, um, much like your family. It's what works and things like that. And she had all the credentials to do it, um, but she gave up on her dream to be a chef because she felt like without the belief of her parents that it wasn't, it wouldn't have amounted to anything. Mm and you know so many other people on on this planet are in similar positions like that so I, I strongly encourage people that if you you know if you have any type of belief or, or any goals or strive you know do them you know belief comes in all uh places and all forms you know um so that's really awesome here and i'm glad things like that uh exist you know mm -hmm. i'm so sorry jeremy i'm, I'm, <laughs> hey, I'm just, no I'm so i mean hey i'm used to it by now it's okay <laughs> No, I get it. <laughs> no, don't worry about it. You're fine. But go, but go ahead, brother. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, Mr. I kind of wanted to talk about uh, some of um, your current work. Um, mm. Not so much as like the product, but the work itself. Um, so, uh, of course, you know, we talked about it. You did you do voice acting, some scripting, directing, um, kind of all over the industry here. Um, I'm kind of just curious about because. Um, you know, we'll see, like, there's voice actors that also, you know, other voice actors that do directing and other sorts of things for the industry. But I'm, I've always been kind of curious as to how that, how that kind of plays out. So, like, I know you did some, you know, you started doing some acting and stuff, but then did, and then uh, you kind of 
started doing the other stuff. So how was that transition? Was that always like, was that kind of like the plan was to transition into these other more behind the scenes, more like taking um, taking a kind of like a higher role? Um, or was that just something that you kind of, that like you tried it and it worked? Like, I'm just curious about how that all shook out. Sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely stumbled into both of those roles. Um, <laughs> when I was still kind of new to the industry, um, I was... Uh, one of my early roles was in Death Battle, and uh, I started hanging out with the creator quite a bit, and actually, uh, he was my boyfriend, and he had to cast an episode and was like, ah, oh, I gotta cast this episode, and, and then direct the voice actors again, and I was like, oh, well, you know, if you don't want to do it, like, I could do it, um, and that was kind of the inception of me directing things, um, and after that point, I've, I've directed Death Battle ever since, um, so it's now uh, oof, several, several, several years that I have um, been the main voice director and casting director for Death Battle. And after that point, I was like, oh, okay, like, I think I'm pretty good at this because every episode was turning out really nice and was getting good feedback. Um, and at that time, I was just starting to book stuff at Media Blasters, um, and the show that I was doing was Real Rainbow Gate, and I recorded it at Sound Cadence Studios here in Texas, and the owner of that studio, who was also the director for that project, was like, hey, um, you're really good, do you want to work here? <laughs> and I was like, I would like to work here, actually, and I've done most of my directing there uh, ever since. Specifically for anime, um, though, I was actually trained at Funimation because I was starting to show interest in directing around the same time that I was working on Nanbaka, and the director of that, Aaron Dismuke, was like, hey, um, if you want to shadow me, I will teach you. Um, and I ended up being the assistant director on that show. I, I did direct a few of the sessions myself, and he taught me everything I needed to know about specifically anime directing. So um, I started directing with Death Battle, then Nanbaka and Aaron Dismuke at Funimation taught me anime directing, and then I was already working at Sound Cadence, so the opportunity um, to finally direct a whole anime by myself ended up coming through there. And uh, ever since, most of my opportunities to, to direct anime have come through Sound Cadence. Um, as far as writing was concerned, I had a background in regular fiction writing, um, novellas and stuff like that, um, because I went to college for it, obviously. And I had shown a little bit of interest in script writing. I had done um, some practice scripts and stuff for, again, Funimation. You know, just to kind of get my feet wet and figure out, like, oh, I, how am I supposed to uh, do this? And once again, Aaron ended up being my mentor in that department as well. He would look over my scripts and give me feedback and give me critique. Uh, and my opportunities to actually start writing scripts came from Sentai Filmworks. My friend Caitlin Barr had just moved up to Dallas to pursue writing scripts with Funimation and her uh, spot writing them for Sentai was open, and you didn't necessarily have to live down in Houston in order to do it, so she recommended me, or asked if I wanted to do it, and then I said yes, and she recommended me, and uh, I ended up writing Armed Girls Machiavellism was the first show that I wrote, and after that point, 
Um, I did a couple more scripts for Sentai. I wrote a script for Funimation. I wrote scripts for Headline Sound in New York uh, for Aria the Animation. A couple episodes here and there. Um, and now I'm sort of, you know, just a script writer for hire, I guess, where I can I can write scripts for any, any anime company that, that wants to have me. And that's really cool, because I love doing the staff portion of anime production almost as much as I love voice acting. It is really cool to get to contribute to anime production in such a way. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Like, I... Oh, sorry. Did I cut you off? Oh, no, we was just agreeing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just, like, cut up for just a split second. Um, but, yeah, I just wanted to say, like, yeah, I think that's really interesting. Like, for myself, like, I mean, I once had dreams when I was, like, a few years ago like maybe like 14 like 2014 2013 whatever i was like oh yeah being a voice actor sounds so cool and like really interesting uh but i gave up on those dreams but i've always really been interested in like the behind the scenes stuff so like how it all happens and like what do all the different people do because like i mean an anime or a game or you know a show isn't just the actors even though they're a huge part of it there's you know the directors there's you know the people that work the equipment mm. and sound and all that so i think that's really cool that um you know you get to experience all those uh aspects yeah, I mean, for me, it, or at least I think for almost everybody, it usually ends up being a natural evolution from being a voice actor. A lot of the current directors and uh, script writers on anime were voice actors first, just because it, it gives you um, your first look into, oh, here's what the scripts look like, and here's how other directors direct you. Um, so it gives you a really easy platform to then build upon and learn how to do the job yourself. But there are also people who start as, you know, engineers and, and, and or maybe they're, you know, novel writers, for example, and then they become anime script writers. So there's, there's people coming in from all paths, but I think primarily it's a lot of voice actors who then, you know, become interested in the staff side of things. Yeah. Right, 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 um, right. So one quick thing uh, before Burger asks this question. Um, I have to ask, because you mentioned it uh, a little bit ago. What's been your favorite death battle? Ooh. Ooh. That's hard. <laughs> yeah. And... People happy or a lot of people mad. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, you know, there's, there's all different kinds of... Um, things to it because there's there's just like oh you know in this episode I think we did the voice matches really well or in this episode like just cool stuff happens or in this episode because um, you know there's there's episodes that are 3D animated or they, they do like a whole cartoon animation I don't know maybe maybe Pokemon vs Digimon might be my favorite um, because yeah, I just, I, I love the voice matches in that episode, um, especially Xander Mobus' Agumon is one of my favorite performances that anyone's ever given on Death Battle, because uh, he was also, he did Greymon and War Greymon as well, and they're, they're great impressions. Um, and the really cool thing about that fight is it was kind of the inception of custom mashup fight music. Um, they do it all the time now, where they have a on- uh, staff uh, composer who makes a fight track that kind of weaves together uh, music from both series, usually the two like opening songs or something, to make a fight track. Um, 
but it used to be that they would just use kind of uh, royalty-free or pre-made music. Um, but Pokemon vs. Digimon, I had the idea. I was like, hey, let's uh, ask Nate Wants to Battle to voice Red and also to make a custom track. And he made this awesome custom fight track for us that weaved together the Digimon theme with, uh, I believe, Red's battle theme. Um, and it's... Or, or, or some kind of like Elite Four theme. Like it was a very iconic Pokemon um, track. Not the opening, but a very iconic battle track. And it's this cool like metal uh, sort of style track. And that was kind of the first time that was done. And it wouldn't come back for a while, but now it's sort of a staple of the series that I love the new tracks that they get made. They are so cool. Um, they add so much flavor, a uh, unique flavor to a fight because a mashup track, you know, especially if it's like, we just did Danny Phantom versus Jake Long. You know, you may not ever hear those two openings mashed together, except for as a death battle fight track. Uh, so yeah, Pokemon vs. Digimon, I think, was the inception of a lot of cool ideas. And also, um, it, it was, uh, the animator was Torian, and he did a lot of the, you know, just like quintessential cool 3D fights from that era. Um, and he kind of set the standard of what a cool 3D death battle looks like. So even though I believe he's moved on to other projects at this point, like when you think of a 3D death battle fight, you usually think of some of Torian's work, and, and that was an episode that I was really, really hype about. Um, so there's a lot of good memories attached to that one, and I got to help with the model scaling, which <laughs> not a lot of people get to say, where uh, Ben had downloaded all of the, um, or had gotten all of the models in, but they weren't scaled, right? They were, they just came in and they were models, and he was like, oh, I have to scale them all to each other so that all the characters are the right height. And he goes, do you know off the top of your head how tall Greymon is? And I was like, yeah, he's two stories tall. <laughs> and he goes, how do you know that? And I'm like, in episode 25, Flower Power, he bursts out of a building and he's exactly two stories tall. You can go look it up. And he was like, wow, okay. <laughs> facts. Hit that man with the car facts. Digimon, Digimon's my favorite show. So, uh, you know. Any, any episode that involves Digimon, of course, I'm going to get excited about. Lucario vs. Renamon, that's why I was like, um, I'm going to voice Renamon, because uh, <laughs> uh, that's my girl. Um, but, you know, just getting to do a, a Digimon-themed episode was just so much fun. Um, and, of course, I love Pokemon, too. So, probably that one. I'm going to go with that one. Sure. Yeah, 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 that's a great answer. And, you know, hey... Uh, I'm pretty sure we all know this, but Digimon is getting a reboot. It is. Which is crazy because they just got older and they just was like, all right, they're teen, they're they're grown now. And it's like, cool. And now they're like, all right, we're going to reboot the series. And it's like, oh, man, So this takes like... place after Digimon Try? <laughs> no. no. So believe it or not, it goes back to... When they're kids. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, the like, oh rebooting it, rebooting it. Okay. Reboot, reboot. Not like Try was cool because Try made me feel old. I was like, oh. Yeah, Try. Older. Try and Last Kizuna are continuations that sort of retcon the end of Digimon Adventure Two, uh, in favor of their own kind of ending. Although I guess the ending could still happen. They could just retcon it again. Um, but yeah, the new one. 
I, I don't know how to pronounce it out loud, <laughs> the new series. It's got like a, a symbol in it that I don't know how to pronounce. But the new Digimon adventure um, goes back to when they were kids and is kind of a retelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's cool. It's, it's now, it's like, literally everything is like getting rebooted. And I'm like, you know what? Part of me is extremely happy because uh, I have students who don't know what Digimon is. <laughs> and I walk by them and they're like, did you see the show called Digimon? I'm like... You guys don't. <laughs> guys, it, it's cool, but at the same time, I really like when they have seasons that have new sets of Digidestined, and I kind of miss that. There hasn't been one since Cross Wars, and I'm like, when are we going to get a new set of Digidestined, man? Where's my man TK at? Like, <laughs> where's TK? Because my favorite, uh, oh, sorry, I'm going to talk about Digimon. <laughs> I, I love it. I love Digimon. My favorite season, uh, it's uh, Savers or Data Squad. I love Data Squad because uh, it was like, you know, it's made for teenagers and um, Masaru or, or Marcus is such a good protagonist because they're just like, okay, here's this like Digimon squad that, you know, they, they, they have this like professional set of guidelines and rules and they're kind of like men in black. And he's like, okay, but like, what if I punched it? Like, what if I punched the Digimon? Would that help? And he, and he does it. He punches giant Digimon, like runs up a fire escape, jumps off a building, punches Digimon in the face. He punches God just cause he can like, Great protagonist. Exactly the kind of protagonist I want to see in anything, let alone a Digimon series. I'm like, more more characters like this, please. <laughs> I think for me, Digimon Frontier. Really? Um, is that the one where they like fuse, where they like turn into the Digimon, right? Yeah. They they don't fuse, but they turn into the Digimon, yes. Right, because I remember like that theme song was just like, I absolutely loved it. It does have a banger theme song, but it's kind of the black sheep of the series. It Not a lot of people liked it because it, it put some people off um, because they, they like the partner dynamic and they didn't like that it was taken away in favor of them being more like Power Rangers. So I know Frontier is where a lot of people fell off the wagon with Digimon. They were like, oh, I'm not gonna watch Digimon anymore because of Frontier, which is too bad because it means they didn't watch Data Squad. Um, but it does have one of the most banger theme songs of the entire franchise. Tell me about it, I was all in. Sub and dub, both of those fran those, both of those theme songs are great. Wadakoji is, was, rest in peace, an amazing composer. So anything um, that Wadakoji put out was just awesome music. And then the dub theme songs were great, uh, but I, I know Frontier stuck with a lot of people just for the theme song. Um, so it's interesting to hear that it's your fave. As far as Fusion is concerned, that was season three. And that's the one that everyone kind of thinks is like objectively the most well-made, which is uh, Tamers. Okay, yeah, I have to like, give myself a refresh from like sitting here trying to google which seasons are what <laughs> i'm just sitting here being like oh yes and then in this year like tamers came out and everyone <laughs> oh yeah. man you you gotta oh my man tommy <laughs> he had that big hat jp jp yo jp gave me so much courage when i was i was like yo big people can do it like i love jp <laughs> no oh man it's just sad backstory like 
The, the kids in Frontier... Uh, I've rescinded that statement before I even say it. I was about to say they had less dramatic backstories than the kids in Adventure. Like, the, the Frontier kids had more grounded problems, right? JP's problem was, like, he didn't fit in and, and nobody was really his friend. And, like, Zoe's problem was that she went overseas and it made it so that it was hard for her to connect with Japanese youth when she got back to Japan. Like, those are very grounded issues, whereas in Adventure it was, like, divorce adoption like very heavy stuff and i was like okay frontier has more temperate issues but then koji comes out of nowhere and koichi and are like uh yeah our parents got divorced and separated us <laughs> and and my dad was like you don't have a sibling you're an only child i'm like hold on <laughs> you can't do that <laughs> feels very illegal to separate a pair of twins and tell one of them he doesn't have a sibling. Like, that feels illegal. Oh, and tell him his mom's dead when she's not dead yet. That, that feels illegal. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry to anybody that's listening. You're like, get back to our questions. But if you guys don't know what Digimon is, ooh, wee, you guys are missing. Guys, if you want to understand what inspires me to work on anime dubs you have to watch digimon anyway because it's it's like just the best i love that show so much it really is i gotta ask a, i gotta ask a question that you brought you talk about anime, uh, favorite composer what is your favorite um it doesn't have to, have to be an anime it can be a video game too but who's your favorite composer music wise oh i don't <laughs> <laughs> I do not have a good answer for you. I, I, I mean, I'm probably going to circle back to Watakoji just because uh, they're the only composer whose work I know as more than one song. Um, I'm the kind of person who collects music from, you know, like one track at a time. I don't download albums. I don't download um, a whole band's, you know, discography at a time. I just, I find one song and I go, ooh, I like that song. And I add it to my little collection. Um... So it's very rare for me to have multiple songs from the same composer or singer or band. Um, so I'm going to circle back to Watakoji just because, again, one of the few times I have heard multiple tracks from one composer and been like, these are all bangers. These are all amazing. Um, so that's why I'm going to stick on that. But <laughs> I do have to bring up, you know, you're, you're saying like, oh, it doesn't have to be anime. If we're talking about like most banger anime theme song, there is a show called Ginga Densetsu Weed, and it has the best theme song I have ever heard. It is ridiculously hype, and the singer sounds so into it that I, everyone I've ever played it for has been like, I've never seen this show, but I kind of need to see this show. And I'm like, I know, because the singer just sounds so hype about this main character's journey. It's like an awesome like rock track with a cool guitar riff. It's great. Highly recommend. Oh, man, I, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I want to. I want to go back into a little bit of your director, uh, your directing uh, mm. titles. You know, you miss, mentioned Nabaka. Uh, there was also this boy is a professional wizard. The boy, uh, this boy suffers from crystallization. That one I particularly want to talk about. And uh, bloom into you. Um, I know all of them stand out to you because they're all you they're all you worked on and things like that um what were some of the experience and the emotions and things that you were going through or i want to say hardships uh while you was working on these projects well um hmm i mean directing 
you inherently get attached, right? I've, as far as like shows that I've directed, because I, I was the assistant director on Bloomin' to You and Nampaka, but shows that I've directed, like, they were kind of all mine, were the This Boy titles, um, and I did the dub of Kimono Friends. And Kimono Friends is such an emotionally impactful show. And I was very, very worried and invested in delivering a good dub um, for that. Uh, I spent a lot of time kind of poring over that show to make sure that the dub would be something that the fans would like. And you would not believe the nerves um, the day that we knew it was going to be announced. I was at a convention and I remember I had a panel to go to, but I was just standing in my uh, hotel bathroom looking at my phone being like, any minute now they're going to announce the Kimono Friends dub. And, uh, uh, you know, I was freaking out. And, uh, you know, at that time you saw people being like, oh, you know, dubs are always bad. And this is going to be bad. And um, but then there were a lot of people who were excited and I was just so excited to deliver it to them. And once the trailer came out and we screened it and people finally got to start seeing it, like it's hard to describe how heartwarming it is to see people react positively to something that I had spent months on, you know, at that point. And um, Kimono Friends, we had people flying in from all over the country to be in that show. So it was a real labor of love just to get it all pulled together, not only because of the actors, but also because I wrote and directed that show. So a lot of it, you know, was... Uh, intertwined with my creative process and, and what I think, you know, produces a good product. So I was really nervous for people to see it. And the same thing with the This Boy titles, you know, I uh, was actually really involved with the licensing and bringing those over to the United States. So I needed the dubs to be good, you know. Those ones in particular got seen by the original creator because those animes were kind of one person's vision. Um, Sobi Yamamoto and she watched the dubs and like gave her feedback and and did uh, little commentary bits for the blu-ray where she told us what she thought of the dubs and that was intense especially when the this boy titles got really emotional in the booth so you know I felt that the actors were really tuned in and I was really tuned in to the emotions of the OVAs so we hoped, you know, it would express itself across the cultural barrier and to see that it did and then that it also got good reviews uh, at home was excellent. And Kimono Friends uh, also got good reviews at home, but then it also went back overseas. People reverse imported the Kimono Friends Blu-ray to Japan and Japanese viewers who loved the show were watching it in English and posting clips of the English dub and I had never seen anything like that before. And, you know, nervousness, fear, elation, all of it. You really, you really do, um, I think, get more attached to a show when you direct it just by nature of the fact that, you know, it's kind of your baby. You had to bring all of it together. And it, it takes a village to create a show. So you're also uh, all wrapped up in, you know, you've, you had a whole team that worked on it. 
and they also poured their hearts and, and blood, sweat, and tears into it, and you just want everyone to be happy with it. So when you see it make an impact on the end user, as it were, that being the fans, uh, it really is so rewarding. Mm. I think that's. I think that goes into uh, credit of your work ethic and how much you uh, put your all into a project. Why does my friend keep calling? I'm sorry, I have a friend. <laughs> He's like, are you speaking to Marissa right now? It's like, yeah, leave me alone. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's really funny because um, I was like, I got an interview. And, and he's like, oh, cool. Who is it with this time? And I was like, oh, uh, Marissa uh, Linty. He was like, she's from Unipop. I was like, I'm not doing this right now. <laughs> I'm not doing this right now, dude. He was like, ask her. Ask her. I'm like, no, man. Like, leave me alone. Man, that one's not out yet. <laughs> Yeah, it's like she's Polly, right? I'm like, go away, dude! Like, stop! Like, <laughs> it's not releasing yet. Like, oh, I can't wait for that one though. That one's gonna be fun. Oh boy! Like, oh boy! <laughs> I, remember, I remember the first time I played it by accident. My buddy was like, oh yeah, it's like Bejeweled. I was like, oh cool. Like, this isn't like Bejeweled, man. <laughs> but also, <laughs> I was laughing because. Uh, when when Borderlands 3 came out and, and my work as Moe's got um, released, uh, there were a lot of forum posts that were talking about how <laughs> they were like, um, her damage noises are kind of sexy. And <laughs> they were like, uh, and they were posting clips of it. And I was like, you guys are going to go crazy when Honey Pop 2 comes out. <laughs> Oh man, there are a lot of cool people working on uh, working on that project here. Buckland, so many. Uh, Amber Mays on there. Like it's a lot of cool people. Oh yeah, Honey Pop Two's got a got an all star cast, and I uh, I believe that's where I pulled Amber May from because uh, I I heard her in the preview clips, and I was like, oh, she's got a really good naturalistic voice, and so she was in Kimono Friends as well. <laughs> and it's kind of a jump to go from Honey Pop to Kimono Friends. Uh, but she's an excellent talent. And she was just on Death Battle, too. She played She-Ra for me. Oh, that's so awesome. Um, yeah, well, I got to tell my buddy that he, I was like, look, you're interrupting me has worked out. <laughs> We're talking right now. We're talking right now. Like, you're in the future. You're listening to this. You're going <laughs> to be like, oh, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> you were the, the MVP today. <laughs> I think I think I'd be uh, we'd be remiss not to mention it, but uh, it's so important. Uh, you made a post, a tweet, mm. earlier this month. Uh, basically, with your, your exact words, you like I want to continue to expand my roster of black voice actor talent. Mm. Uh, send your reel uh, to your own personal place. Uh, if you've never auditioned for a sound cadence project, if you've never auditioned for Death Battle, if you've never auditioned for me directly. And there's a lot of there's a lot of things going in in the world that we live on, right? Living. Mm -hmm. And uh, so many people are trying to figure out what to do and what what can what can I do for the community and things like that. And um, I really gotta admit, say that I would really be remiss to say of how how meaningful that that means to to see that type of approach because I feel that in in a world where you could have just been like oh, I'm gonna I'm donate over here or maybe I'll post over here you're taking the next step to uh, enhance 
uh, the future of a uh, of voice acting. Uh, I don't think, honestly, a lot of people can name five uh, black voice actors off the top of their head. Um, personally, I don't think they can do it. Like there, there are so <laughs> many, there are so many talented uh, voice talents out there uh, that people might not even think. Uh, legendaries like Isaac Hayes. Uh, do a chef uh, on South Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jalil White, who was a big part of everyone's childhood. He was Sonic in, in the original cartoon. Uh, Bill Lamar. Uh, so, so many. Regina King. Uh, she was on Cree the- Summer. Yeah. Yes, Cree Summer. Cree- James Avery. <laughs> Uncle Phil. But he was Shredder. Oh, yeah. Um, even up to new talents. Like Zeno Robinson, who plays... Uh, uh, Hawks, mm-hmm. Peters, uh, Dave Fanoy, uh, so many, so many uh, voice actors, and, and I'm not saying they go unrecognized because their their work uh, speaks is an testament of time. You know, it's always going to be there. But what made you take the spark to be like, this is what I want to do? And could you, uh, anybody that's listening to this, and hopefully uh, they can still put uh, in a real. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Could you just elaborate a little? Sure. I mean, ever since I started directing, um, something that I've been very passionate about is discrimination in casting. Um, because it happens uh, quite a bit. And I don't think it, it happens because of malice on anybody's part. It just is usually an overlooking um, and an underestimating of people. And I would say it happens exponentially more to black voice actors than to any other group. You see discrimination in voice casting for other things as well, certainly. Trans voice actors usually struggle with, um, you know, the gender of the character, the the characters that they get to play, um, people not recognizing, you know, what they can do as far as um, voices are concerned, not, you know, saying to them like, oh, I don't know where to place you, which is, you know, just stupid in my opinion, because as far as I'm concerned, and I keep this philosophy with me as, you know, when it it pertains to anything, um, if you let people try, they surprise you. And the most important thing for me, as far as voice directing and casting is concerned, is giving people that shot. Um, because you never know who you're going to hear that's going to be your next, you know, go-to, your next great uh, voice actor that you can always rely on to do a great job. And I hate hearing, particularly from my friends in the black voice actor community, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, this this company only sends me the uh, specifically black characters Like, you know, they'll only send me the characters who have to sound like they're from, you know, the Bronx or something. Um, When, you know, this person may have grown up in, you know, the Midwest and they might have a very neutral sounding voice that they can voice anything. And most actors can voice anything. Nobody sounds black. And I hate when people say it. They say, oh, you sound black, you sound white. No. Usually what people are hearing are their own inherent biases of what a particular accent means or a way of a style of speaking means, but 
anyone who grows up anywhere can end up sounding a certain way. And voice actors have the incredible ability, usually, to change um, their style of speech for a character. Um, so I hate to hear when someone's like, oh, you know, they say that I sound black, so I only get to voice the black characters. I think that's stupid. Um, so when it comes to voiceover casting, I'm really passionate about making sure that my casting pool is as wide and diverse as it can possibly be at any given time, and that I am keeping up to date and on the pulse of all of the up and coming actors. But of course, that's a lot of people. So I go, okay, you know, let's focus on one group at a time and do that throughout the year. So that that particular tweet did quite well, obviously, because the, um, you know, the world is, is craving it right now, is craving to see actors, um, specifically black voice actors, getting opportunities and, and being allowed into these industry spaces. But I do it year round. I go, hey, uh, today I need rappers. Today I need trans voice actors. Today I need um, actors who can do monster noises. And I just do little tiny groups of people throughout the year so that I don't overwhelm myself. And I build up and build up and build up until I have this huge pool. I would say um, the Sound Cadence pool at this point is around 800 voice actors um, of all walks of life all uh, races, ethnicities, um, you know, identifications, because when I need to cast something, if I have that huge diverse pool of actors to pull from, it's just gonna make my products better. Um, and, and of course it's, you know, it's a great thing to do for the sake of representation as well, but just from a strictly business standpoint, I've always made this argument where I'm like, the more diversity you have in your casting pool, the better your end product will be. And I believe that with my whole heart. So I am constantly, like I said, trying to find the up and comers, the, the new actors that I need to hear. And, and this month I said, you know, it's really important that we prioritize black voice actors. Um, so I sit down and I got about 200 submissions to that and they're still coming in um, and I just listen and, and see if, you know, I may find someone who, like I said, will be my next uh, great person that I can rely on. And I hope that I get to, to direct more shows so that I can imbue that diversity into uh, casting because these voice actors are so talented and they do get overlooked and it's hard for them to build their platform. And I hope that any role that I could give them would help uh, their true potential be recognized. Um, and once those actors get recognized, then they're off to the races, you know, they don't need help. Um, they they start to build their, their platforms and build their careers. And it's so cool to see because especially the anime industry has a, a severe representation problem as far as it's overwhelmingly uh, white voice actors that do quite well. And I do think it's because of some inherent um, unfortunate bias of, oh, well, you know, if, if someone doesn't sound quote unquote neutral, then the fans are going to get upset. Um, but it's not true. You know, they you see things like Zeno Robinson as Hawks people love. Zeno as Hawks. And there's there's no... That fear is a boogeyman, essentially. 
Um, and I, I hope to see it overcome more and more. And there are other voice directors who are working on it. Uh, Colleen Clinkenbeard, who directs the My Hero dub, is absolutely making these amazing strides in a direction that I hope that everyone goes in. And uh, Caitlin Glass also um, casts Radiant and um, other shows like that with these these awesome, diverse casts. Not only diverse in the fact that they have actors of various races, especially black voice actors represented, but also she uh, just diversity of um, origin in that she goes to the theater and discovers actors. And that's the kind of thing that I like to do as well, is go to the theater, ask online, watch indie projects, and just find new talent. Um, so it's just something I'm really passionate about. And uh, I, I believe that when it comes to affecting social change, um, you know, with something as big as police brutality or um, racism in America, it can feel really overwhelming to try and tackle it or stand up to it as an individual. Um, but something that we can all do is affect our communities and our industries. And voice acting is my community. So when it comes to, you know, what can I do to help? Elevating the voices of my black peers is something that I can do more effectively than, you know, anything else. So I can donate to the big stuff and then I can work on my community and anyone can do that. So it's something that I, that I like to see and therefore, you know, if you like to see it, you have to do it, right? Yeah, right. right. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's uh, that's really inspiring. Um, got a little emotional there. Um, <laughs> I, I think um, it, it speaks. I have a I have a personal story. Um, and I, I'm not gonna name any names or try to bridge down any anybody I work. But uh, I've been doing voice acting myself personally about two years. I think my first like like I said first role thing, crying, and I've been that meant so much to. I was, I was calling them up I, I did one take and they were like that's great perfect that's it man and I was like you sure I can do like five more they're like nah that, that's we got it it's, it's good I'm like <laughs> I, I got some more in me they was like dude it's good and uh, and I, I remember I had auditioned for a character uh, named uh, Matty Wise um, it was basically supposed to be like a high pitch uh, annoying villain but you know you still kind of love him <laughs> um so I, I auditioned for the role and I don't know what I was like. I'm listen now. I'm not dealing with this anymore. Matty Wise is in the said something like that. Like, <laughs> it's great. We love you. And I was like, cool, right? And now my name is Burger in, in real life. Um, because my parents are me. Um, but that's not necessarily quote unquote uh, a black name in a sense. So um we had done, we had did like a online uh, meetup, online group meetup. This is the first time we're all getting to see the people behind these characters in a sense. Um, I don't know, I've now never been self-conscious uh, about anything. I don't know, I just had a bad feeling today. I was like, oh, my camera's not working. Like, well, everyone's here, has their camera on, man. You gotta put your camera on. So I did, and I got kicked from the party. Oh. Yeah, um, got kicked from the party. No explanations. Uh, didn't know what's going on. So at first, you know, you're like, you try to justify it. Ah, uh, you know, maybe the connection is back. And then like, little by little pieces start coming together. Like, oh, they're not letting me in. Oh, okay. I get an email, probably like uh, that night, that very same night. 
long apology uh basically stating uh you know we're sorry i'm not gonna go into detail about it but it was basically a giant apology oh you know we weren't ready and you know we have some things that we, we had to like image was so important for us at the time and we didn't want it to be uh because you were black so you know and they were like we wanted you to come back and i'm like i'm, I'm good now thanks i'm good i've, I've seen enough Oof. i i've i've seen i've seen uh what you're speaking of i've seen it uh firsthand and i think a, some a lot of people seen it as well um to the point where some people you know get discouraged um i think i, I remember you made a post earlier today and uh somebody you said an actor has said i didn't do that audition because we have them and your response was well i'm not looking for your blood i'm looking for a person who can speak for that character be that character and if your life and your story helps you bring out that person then that's what i'm looking for mm -hmm. that that's so inspiring and it means so much uh in the community we are because I, I know a lot of people i know a lot of people who uh you know in a sense uh they give up you know they're like oh this isn't for me um so it's very cool to for you to in a sense be that beacon of hope you know and i hope anybody that's listening to this um if you've ever thought about voice acting you know the worst you can do and as we learned from marissa's the the worst thing you can do is try and just have a skill you know there's there's no harm in trying so i mm -hmm. it, it really it really spoke to me and i'm glad it did I, I thank you for that and now that i'm thinking about it i'm like jeremy just did say he was gonna quit so my goal in life now is to get him to so, you know what? <laughs> you say you have 200 auditions, you're going to have 202, buddy. Yeah, no quitting. First, I have to learn how to, one, I mean, I took one acting class uh, my entire life. Um, and <laughs> no, it, was, it was really fun. But then also, uh, I have no idea how to make a demo tape. <laughs> hey, buddy, I got your. We look after after we're done speaking. We're gonna talk. Oh yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're we're gonna we're gonna get you there. And don't be like you don't have studio because if you go on Marissa's website and she has a section that says no studio, no problem, no excuses, dude. <laughs> we're, going, we're going all the way in. But yeah, I mean, I, I know Jeremy has. Some <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeremy. Um, I, no. yeah, go ahead. No, I just uh, I wanted to hit on, you know, I, I do hear it a lot where people are like, oh, you know, they get caught so caught up in the semantics of, well, I'm, I'm to this or I'm to that to or I'm not enough this or that to audition for something. Um, and, you know, I say it's the director's responsibility to be running a diverse casting call to have people um you know who represent this character very closely and then also who maybe are a little off the beaten path audition so that they can find the perfect voice for the character and i say as a voice actor you should not um be limiting yourself based on what you think you are you know just get out there and try it and i hate when i hear that um particularly actors of color are discouraged from pursuing the uh, career because they think that they're that they can't do neutral, quote unquote. 
or they think that they're not enough of what they are. Um, I have a lot of friends who are mixed race and they say, oh, you know, well, I'm only half this. So, you know, I didn't try out for it. And I go, okay, but like, you know, your home life, where, where you grew up, your family, if, if they instilled a certain culture in you and that culture is a main part of your life, like then that's enough. That's what people are looking for is, is that authenticity and that realness and, and you have it. Um, you shouldn't second guess yourself. And it breaks my heart to see especially talented black voice actors who struggle or quit because they spin their wheels for so long because of, unfortunately, stories like the one that you just told where, um, you know, just for the way that they look, they get shut out. And it's voiceover, right? This should be an industry where how you look doesn't matter at all. Um, but you see it a lot where, where actors are discriminated against because once someone has seen your face, then they get notions about, oh, well, I can hear it in their voice um, and people are going to be able to recognize it and it'll take them out of the experience. So I can't cast them. And I go, no, that's not true. You just, once you see someone, you, you imbue a bias and it is important for casting directors like myself to overcome those biases. And it's, it's nothing heroic, right? It's common decency. Um, to give people a shot, um, especially if they are at a level where they have the talent. You know, the only thing that should be keeping people out of this industry is skill. Um, if you're not skilled enough yet, you have to go take more classes, you have to go train, and then you can come back. Um, but nothing else, nothing else should be keeping people out of this industry. And, and, and seeing my friends who are professionals, you know, who've been doing this for a long, long time, struggle where their peers don't, it sucks and it breaks my heart. And I'm very flattered that you'd call me something like a beacon of hope, but I just want to be the person who opens the door because that's really all people need. Um, these are talented people. These are actors, consummate professionals who, you know, if they were just given the opportunity would shine all on their own. And if I can open one door and that lets them open more doors for themselves, you know, I can sleep at night, right? And that's that's just the long and short of it for me is I just I just want to do what I think is right. And what I think is right, you know, both in the business sense of it creates a better show and also in the, you know, um, sense of morality, I suppose, is to um, make sure that I that I never put myself in a box where I'm not hearing the amazingly talented people who are just outside of it. I never want to be in that uh, position. And um, so, so, you know, <laughs> uh, to, to get out of, of such an emotional place, my solution for that is is those those demo calls. I just um, put them out randomly and from those I have met some of my favorite voice actors to use, um, favorite voice actors to watch grow, favorite voice actors who are now excelling in the industry and I hope um, that many more of them uh, follow that path 
because uh, the ones who are really talented and have the skills and have the training, they can. They they just need that open door. Yeah. Um, so I kind of wanted to touch on a couple things you said there and just kind of comment on that. First being, uh, you said this a little bit ago, is that doesn't make what you're doing heroic. And I wanted to point that out um, because even though, you know, you might not see it that way, you know, the work you're doing, I still personally think it's important because you heard Berger mention it, but, um, you know, both of us, you know, we're both black um, and we have uh, a black audience. And, you know, I, I assume just by listening to my voice, people couldn't tell that unless you go to uh, my Instagram, instagram.com slash anime dine-in. Ooh, plug. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, uh, but you know, you wouldn't be able to tell that. Um, and we do have black audience and people that listen to this show. And I think it's really important that they hear that they're hearing that there are people out there that are listening and are willing to open up, you know, and give their time to provide those opportunities, right? Because that's mm. what it's about. And you talked about it is having those opportunities. I mean, of course, you have to also have to have the chops, but it's just opening that door. And I think it's important to know that, you know, there's people like yourself or you, Caitlin Glass or Colleen Clinkenbeard who are out there that are, is listening and is, um, and is actually doing the work. Um, and I think that's a really important, important thing. So I yeah, personally yeah. want to, want to, you know, say thank you for that. And, uh, hopefully, you know, the people listening can get, uh, uh, yeah. something out of that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm glad. And I mean, that's the that's the 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 tripping point for a lot of people is that it is work um, to actively seek out new talent. Um, but like I said, I do think it's what's right, both for me as a professional um, who wants to create the best product possible. I find that um, having a diverse voice pool is the number one saving grace of creating any sort of uh, cast. But also just, you know, it, it is um, an unfortunate reality of the industry that there is a level of discrimination. Again, I don't think it comes from a place of malice, but it does come from an a place of ingrained bias. And it does need to be actively worked over. Um, so I just think, you know, it's the right thing to do to actively work over that bias and and open those doors and i do hope that anyone who's listening who wants to be a voice actor who's scared of running into those biases and 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 having difficulty climbing the ladder i can't say that you won't run into it because you will um and it sucks and i hate that you will uh but know that there are people out there who are waiting to hear you and who hope that you succeed and if you want to be a voice actor, you know, go for it. Because if it's your dream, nothing would make me more upset than knowing that um, something as, as awful as racism stopped you. Um, you know, no one, no one uh, is gonna ask you to, you know, be unsafe about it. Please, uh, you know, hold on to a part-time job and, and and have a have a safety net and and you know, be careful when you pursue your dreams. Don't drop everything to move to Texas like I did. Um, but don't 
let fear be the thing that stops you. Um, because that's just the worst. Um, and I, I would encourage anybody who wants to become a voice actor but is, you know, maybe a little tentative, uh, get involved in indie spaces. Unfortunately, there are going to still be... There's still going to be awful people who discriminate and lock you out of opportunities, but there are also great people who will give you those opportunities um, and invite you in. And especially if you're talented and you have the chops, you'll find the people who who value your talent over anything else, um, over optics or, uh, you know, what they perceive to be. Uh, you know, a squeaky clean um, visage of uh, public facing, I don't know, whatever. Um, stupid things, like people who value stupid things, you're going to run into them. Um, but there are also going to be people who, you know, if you've got the talent, they're going to hear that and they're going to invite you in and you will have made it there yourself. Um, so do get involved in indie spaces um, indie voice acting, go for it. And if you find that you really do have a passion for it, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing you in the professional space. And I hope to, to see you there. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that's amazing. Um, one thing I love about this series, uh, is how everything, uh, loops right back in the beginning. We, we talked about having that support and how some people don't have it and you know uh i gave a personal story where i felt like i did and Rissa gave a story where she did but we're coming to a close and everyone you guys you heard it you heard it first uh Marissa's that support you know she wants to see you uh succeed so anyone that's out there that feels there's uh this big looming or you call it doubt you know, I implore you, uh, take the leap, you know, be smart about it. Make sure you look down. <laughs> be, be smart about it and go for it because you never know uh, if this was your calling. And if the worst thing you can do is ignore a dream, mm. most thing, the best thing you can do is, is you can acknowledge it. And if it doesn't work out, you know, fine you know but i would rather you acknowledge your dream try it and it don't work out versus you ignore your dream and you let it sit in the back of your mind for life so i implore everyone out there to take that step and be part of the 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 new set of of demo reels that are going in <laughs> me, and, me, me and jeremy will be there like so we're all in it together even though jeremy's <laughs> like no but I'm going to get him to do it. Even if it's, even you know if what? it's bad. You know what? Here, I'll, I'll, I'll commit to this now. I will submit. But There it, we go. There. <laughs> there we go. That's all anyone's asking for. And I mean, you know, with those submissions, like I said, I got over 200 responses this time, which is more than I've ever gotten from a demo reel uh, open call. Um, and, you know, there, there, of course, were actors who need to work on their chops more. It's gonna happen. Um, but if you keep working, uh, there is a level of commitment that once you put it in, like anyone with half a brain will be able to see it. Um, 
And and that's when, you know, that's when I hear your demo reel and I go, ooh, I need that. And I grab it. <laughs> and I do, um, you know, there there is um, a philosophy in the way that I cast where I want to hear, I want to hear so many people. Um, not only for the sense of diversity, but just because I feel much better about my casts when I have heard 200, 300 people read for a role. Then I know that who I got is perfect. Um, so the industry needs new voices. It needs diverse voices. It needs you. They're, they're, even if the industry pushes you away, and, and it will be hard when it does, and it sucks, but it needs you. Um, so if you're willing to put in the work, I would implore anyone who thinks this is their dream to try it. And again, you know, even if you do uh, trip and, and scuff your knees up, even if you do find that it's not for you and you decide to, you know, walk back from the path, if you try it, then at least you know. And if you end up pursuing it all the way, uh, the industry, even if it doesn't feel like it's thanking you, um, it is healthier for having you. And uh, that's that's why I, you know, try and cultivate upcoming talent, you know, any way I can, because it's, I mean, it's good for everybody. It's good for me, it's good for the industry, and it's good for the people who maybe didn't know that they could make it happen. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's great. I, I don't think there was a better way we could have ended this, uh, amazing, yeah. and this amazing, uh, discussion. Um, so, uh, I want to thank, uh, <clears throat> gotta get professional again. <laughs> Got emotional there. Yeah, yeah. I was lost in yeah, emotions. Yeah, a little raw. I, <laughs> I got to put on my, my, my suit jacket and be like, uh, I want to thank everyone out there for, uh, listening, uh, to this very, uh, special episode of Skipping the Line. We had, technically, we had two voices. We, we skipped the line with two people. Skipped the line with Marissa and with Moxie. Uh, that's... <laughs> That's a bargain deal, okay? This is, I think we're the very first podcast to have an animal on. Like, this is groundbreaking, guys. <laughs> I, this, is, this, this is truly groundbreaking things, all right? We got to celebrate when it's time to celebrate. For those who didn't hear, my cat in the background, Moxie, is, uh, she's a voice actress, too. She's got, a, she's got an entry on Anime News Network. That's how you know you made it, all right? So, <laughs> hey, guys, if Moxie's out there doing it, what's the excuse? Let's all get in there and give it our best. Uh, I want to thank everybody uh, for tuning in and listening to us. Uh, I know things may seem a little crazy right now, but I promise and I assure you that things will get better. Uh, your buddies here at the Anime Dining Podcast, people like Jeremy, people like me from the Geeks in the City, people like Marissa, we're all, all hoping for the best, and we know we'll get there, you know? So let's just keep holding our head up high and you know sometimes it's okay for life to suck but you know what it's gonna get better and the sooner you realize that uh the sooner it will so uh i want to thank uh, again uh jeremy for joining me here uh whoop, whoop. yeah this was a <laughs> this was a great time but uh tell people hey you know we're, we're we're starting to get back in the swing of things we uh we was here first when this uh 
pandemic uh, started, and here we are in the in the future. Uh, we did an episode in a very Cali Bear, Cali Bear, and he was like, "In the future, if everything is over, then just know we made it." So we predict the future, guys. We're like, we're gonna get there, and look at it. Things are things are starting to get better. So I want to implore everyone to you know continue to practice social distancing. Uh, be smart. You know, we're we're at the end game now, and. It's very important to be smart as we try to get back in the swing. Remember what Which happened means to the event. Wearing your mask when you go out. Yes, please. Yes, I got some cute anime printed masks, so I'm ready. Ah. <laughs> be smart, guys. Okay, don't be don't be like Thor in the Avengers and try to go for Thanos in the midst of head. Okay, we gotta Not we gotta school. work. We have to work as a team to get through this. But uh, I want to thank Marissa so much again for uh, taking time to talk and really uh, share your life and drop those jewels, jewels, those bombs on us. <laughs> I don't think I've been so emotional in my my life ever since like my wife said she loved me back, and I was like, for real? Oh, <laughs> this, this is great. Um, uh, thank you guys so much, and everyone out there, uh, stay safe and uh, stay geeky, and we'll see you next time. Bye!